0: You're listening to audio from The Village Church, a community that's formed by the gospel and sent on God's mission, gathering weekly in the heart of downtown Hamilton, Ohio. For more information about The Village, or to connect with us, you can find us online at myvillagechurch.com. Good morning. Uh, Good morning again, I guess. I've been up here once already. Um, Couple quick notes. One, uh, Michael is out. He's actually preaching this morning. Obviously not here. Um, he's in Marietta preaching at another Acts 29 church uh, this morning, which is really cool, so be praying for him. Uh, also, my throat decided to be on fire uh, this morning, and that is not a spiritual thing. I'm not being spiritual when I say that. I mean, it literally feels like it's on fire uh, right now, so if I have to, like, stop or clear my throat or just if I just lay down here for a minute, just just know that that's what's going on. Um, and last thing uh, is that this... Uh, This sermon series, He is, we are uh, very much about uh, who God is, some of His attributes, His communicable attributes is the theological term that we get to share with Him as being made in His image. Uh, We're talking about God being gracious this morning and grace and all that stuff. Um, It is very much, this sermon is much more about He is sermon uh, with implications of we are that kind of come at the very, very end that I will leave you with, um, but just know that we're talking about he is which, talking about grace, that's all of him, and so I think that makes sense, but all that being said, I think those are my only uh, caveats for this morning, but just want to let you know those things. Uh, so um, my wife and I, we've been watching uh, the show for the last, it's in its second season, it's called uh, on Netflix, um, My Next Guest Needs No Introduction, it's uh, David Letterman um, I, I don't know how you feel about David Letterman, but uh, he is uh, an interesting guy, and he interviews like all these different kinds of people. Uh, Kanye, uh, pre-Jesus Kanye, was his first interview uh, on this season. So, just saying, if you're interested, you can go take a look at that. Um, the, the last one that we watched uh, was Melinda Gates. Uh, that was who we interviewed, and um, if you don't know who she is, she's a philanthropist. She's a software engineer. She was the co uh, or an ex GM actually of of Microsoft. Uh, and you might know her as, as Bill Gates' wife. Um, that, that's who David Letterman interviewed. And, and she was on to talk about uh, the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. Um, it's, it's all about uh, health and education, um, empowering the poor, um, all this stuff. It's, it's the biggest foundation uh, period. It's just the biggest foundation period that, that exists today. Uh, and they go about doing that with, with what they have, right? Which, which they have $50 billion dollars. $50 billion, that's how big the foundation is, that's, that's the wealth uh, that is there, and they do that by giving uh, of their wealth to the least likely people, those men who, who happen to be uh, on in that category of like being the most um, in need, not because they have the tools already uh, to be successful, not because they have the money already, not because uh, they, they are already healthy and already educated, but because they're not, explicitly because they don't have those things, they target them to help them. And lastly, they help them uh, by giving uh, with a, a particular end in mind, right? So they just, just don't give like willy-nilly to whatever, but, but they have a particular goal, a particular end uh, in mind. Uh, their, their vision for the future, their kind of mission statement is that we are impatient optimists working to reduce inequity. All right, so that's who they say they are. We are uh, impatient optimists working to reduce inequity. That is, that is who the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation is is and just to give you an example uh so uh smallpox is the only disease that's ever been eradicated from the from the earth the only one that's ever been fully eradicated they're working on the second one to eradicate the the second disease and that's uh that's polio there's like 30 some cases left uh in the world so their goal as a foundation is to eradicate a disease from the face of the earth forever it's kind of a lofty goal right kind of a big deal um so, so that's the kind of stuff that we're talking about. That's the power and the wealth that they have behind their foundation. And, and what's wild is, like, Bill and Melinda Gates, they don't have to do any of that stuff, right? Like, unless you've not heard of Microsoft, uh, you probably know that, that they're all right. They don't have to, like, work for a living or do it. They could literally just live off of what they've earned for the rest of their life and do nothing, right? Sit back, relax, and enjoy retirement. But that's not what they've done. They they've built this foundation, and not just for for tax write offs. That you could say that. Well, I just don't want to give money to Uncle Sam or whatever. I'm sure that's part of it. But but man, like they've given their life to this thing. Um, this is now their second career. This is what they do. Um, they've given themselves to this kind uh, of work, and they've gone out of their way to to do it to bring about uh, a future vision of the world on their dime. And this uh, this unnecessary fifty billion dollar. Uh, foundation that just sits in Seattle. It's a, it's a microscopic microcosm of, of what we're talking about today. Um, the, the unnecessary yet unending riches of a God who is gracious with us, who has gone out of his way and given himself to bring about a future, uniting heaven and earth on his own dime, on his own dime, a future that's centered on and paid for by Jesus. All right, so we're talking about God's grace Today, what does it mean that God is, is gracious? Um, to contrast this uh, a little bit with uh, a word that we hear often coupled with grace, uh, it, it's mercy. All right, so we talk grace and mercy, that's a, a description of God throughout the Old Testament that He's gracious and He's merciful. Uh, I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. So, to contrast these things a little bit, like it's not just the, the same uh, way of saying the same thing, or two different ways of saying the same thing, grace. Uh, and mercy last week Michael put this up on the screen uh, talking about justice and mercy and grace Uh, this is what we've been talking about the last few weeks here Uh, justice to help us understand the difference between these things justice is is we get what we deserve mercy is that we don't get what we deserve Um, punishment we don't get that Uh, and then grace is that we get what we don't deserve positively it's a good thing uh, the Greek word for, uh, for grace is, is charis, uh, which literally means gift or favor. Uh, so to be gracious is someone who gives gifts, who is generous with what they have. And so the last two weeks, we talked about justice and mercy and how the tension of those two things, they become resolved uh, at the cross of Christ. God's justice and God's mercy, uh, they meet together, they agree. And, and this is one of the things that sets Christianity apart. Right, from, from any other religion, any other way of seeing the world, is that we have a God who is 100% committed to justice and a God who is 100% committed uh, to mercy without compromising the two. And that happens on the cross of Christ. But another thing that sets Christianity apart is, is grace. God doesn't merely clean up our mess with his, with his grace, his gift of the cross. But he lavishes us even more. So uh, if you've ever spilled milk or had a kid or been around somebody who spills milk all the time, you clean it up, uh, the last thing you would do is probably pour the milk all the way up back to the top again because you know that's, that's what's going to happen again. They're just going to spill it over again. So we all spill our milk, all right, all over the place, and God just doesn't give us like a like sippy cup with like a little drip back in there or say, no more, he like gives us a, a giant glass, glass, and fills it all the way up to the top again and then says, here you go. That's, that's a picture of grace. Justice, mercy, and grace. Justice says, uh, you have to pay your debt. Mercy says, I'll pay the debt off for you. Right? That's what God says to us. And then grace goes on to say, uh, I'll, I'll leave you, right, the one who got yourself into the debt in the first place, I'll just leave you my full inheritance. doesn't make any sense, all right? God's justice and mercy deal uh, with things that that come at us and come at the world and and that come at the Lord. His grace doesn't stop there though. He he goes out of its way uh, to see what he can add to us and give to the world, to to pour something more into his church than was originally even there. And he does that from from the depths of his riches, which is way bigger than 50 billion dollars transcends bank accounts, blessing uh, only those who are found to be ill-equipped and undeserving, people who have uh, spilled all the milk that we've already been given. And, and gosh, and yet he gives to us, not because he's foolish, not because he's reckless, but because he has a vision for the future and a wisdom and how to bring that about that's bigger and better and deeper than we know or can ever understand. God is uh, not an impatient optimist he's a very patient optimist working not just to reduce inequity but to to bring heaven and earth together not just to eradicate uh, an infectious disease but literally every single disease including sin and suffering off the face of the planet off of you right and and in its place to create a world that's nothing but overflowing with not only his riches and his blessings but our praise of a gracious God and he calls us to join him in that work as His gracious image bears. And so uh, this morning's main idea is this that by grace alone, God is working to reunite heaven and earth in Jesus. And we're going to look at uh, that in three different ways. that God is gracious with what He has, He's gracious with the least likely, and he's gracious with the end and mind. So if you would, uh, join me. We're going to read Ephesians 1, 1 through 14 uh, one more time together. We're going to read this in one chunk. We'll pick it apart kind of bit by bit uh, as we go throughout these three points. There's not like a healthy chunk, one, two, three, but we're going to look at the whole thing as we go through this morning. So here's Ephesians 1, 1 through 14. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. All things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. All right, so point number one, God is gracious with what he has. Uh, I don't know if you've been to a a party, you probably have a kid's birthday party, maybe an adult's birthday party with a pinata. Adults have pinatas at your birthday party? I don't know. Um, But kids, like, they they get excited about the pinata, right? The pinata itself. It might look cool, Uh, it might be like a character that they really like, or the shape is just whatever. Uh, you also get to like beat the snot out of it, right? You actually get to swing at something and, and bust something and that's okay. Like that's what you're supposed to do. So kids get excited about the pinata. There's a pinata uh, at the party, right? But, but kids also get excited about what comes inside the pinata, the, the candy, right? The, the individually wrapped stuff that's inside because it's, it's fun to bust something open but it's even better when, when candy is the thing that gushes and bleeds out from it, right? That's pretty fun. So when we talk about pinatas at birthday parties we think about doing that uh in our heads we're not just thinking about the pinata itself right that thing we're also talking about all the stuff that bursts out of the the paper mache right when you finally break through all the stuff that comes along with it so it's like it's a twofold thing it's a twofold gift you get to enjoy it as a whole right and when you break it down you get to see actually what's inside and enjoy what's there same thing is true about grace All right, talking about grace, in one sense, we're thinking about grace as like a giant gift of unmerited uh, favor, that that he has gone out of his way to give us, that God has gone out of his way to give us. Um, In in verse 3, it says that God has blessed us. In the Greek, that word is the same word that we get our word for eulogy from, right? So it's this, this good word. That is spoken over uh, a whole life, right? A eulogy is something that you, you, you share. It's a word that you share, uh, usually at a, at a funeral, right? Or at a memorial service, to, to speak over the life of, of somebody. That's, that's this idea of blessing. It's something that, that speaks over all of our lives. It's this big gift that speaks over everything. So, so he's blessed us uh, with this, this big... He, he has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, so this big blessing that we have in Christ is filled with a million little blessings that come with it inside. Grace in and of itself is amazing, right? We will literally sing that song uh, later this morning. But, but seeing how God has wrapped up his grace in various ways, each with a distinct flavor um, that, that we get to unwrap, that's also pretty amazing. That's also something that we get to enjoy. And Ephesians 1 helps us break down uh, the big gift Of grace, to see those little pieces, that if we've received this this big grace, this big gift of God, then we've also received his love. We've received adoption as sons and daughters. We've received uh, redemption. He's redeemed us, purchased us back from our sin. We've received forgiveness from guilt of our sin. He's given us knowledge of his will. He lets us in on what he's doing and what he's up to and what he's about. He's given us an inheritance. He's given us everything that He has and signed that over to us. And He's given us the Holy Spirit as a guarantee that He is actually going to give us the fullness of that one day and to seal us, to say that you are mine. That's mine. There are countless other blessings that, that aren't even listed here. Paul says that God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, not just the the $50 billion that's in the foundation over here, right? But he's literally blessed us with every penny of grace and every junk drawer under every couch cushion uh, between every driver's seat and center console in your car. He's found all the grace that he could possibly find, and he gives that to us, and not because he has to. Not because he has to. He wants to. Verse 8 says that he lavished upon us the riches of his grace. He lavished upon us the riches of his grace. To to make a bound, to exceed over and above, that's what that means. It's not an obligatory gesture. Not a, well, I want to get a tax write-off. So I I guess while I'm doing that, I'll be, be kind and generous over here. It's not a, How much do I have to give, or how much should I give? It's a how much can I give? What can I find that I might be able to give to these people? That's that's the mentality that God has about grace. So we can we can oversell a lot of things in the church, right? We can oversell sermon series, we can oversell buildings and community, we can oversell pastors and sermons, we can oversell a million different things, but. But one thing that we can't oversell is is the Lord's grace. We cannot overhype that. We cannot oversell that too much. And and there's also one other thing that's even bigger than the grace of God. It's one thing to enjoy the piñata, right? Show up to the birthday party and boom, there it is, yeah. And then to go in and beat it to smithereens and enjoy all the stuff that comes out of it. It's another thing to enjoy the one throwing the party. The one who bought the pinata, the one who planted the tree that the pinata is hanging from, the one that owns the backyard, right, that the tree is in, the one who made the birthday cake, all that stuff, the one who provided it for us. We get to spend the rest of our lives basking not just in the grace of God, but in the God who is gracious, as good as all the pinatas and all the gifts And all the spiritual blessings might actually be, those things are a shadow, a shadow of of the towering grace of God, of the one who gave them. The giver is greater than the gift. So last week, um, y'all showed up, maybe, uh, if you were here, and there was no coffee. Anybody notice that? I have no idea why, there is no shame there was no whatever. I have no idea why coffee wasn't here. You don't have to talk to me afterwards about why I wasn't here. I, I don't care. I brought my own coffee from home that day, so it didn't really bother me that much. But there was no coffee here, all right, last week. Did any of you be like, Psh, "What? why would I even come here then? There's no coffee. Why would I even show up? How was the gathering? Well, uh, I mean, it was fine, but there really wasn't any coffee. God couldn't really get through, I think, to me because I wasn't caffeinated enough. I know we don't show up for coffee, right, of God, whenever we feel like it hasn't shown up in the ways that we're used to, and the ways that we're expecting, the ways that we assume it's going to be there, we become Dudley from Harry Potter, right, if you get that reference that he's this kid who's like sitting in his room and he's counting all the presents on his birthday, right, and he's like, 36, and you think like, oh wow, that's a ton of presents, he's like, that's two less than last year, And he gets mad about it. And we're often the ones sitting in a room filled with gifts, wondering when and why God stopped being generous to us. Or or maybe we're evaluating our life or reflecting on circumstances or stewing on relationships that we have. And and we can't see or receive the grace uh, of God that's filled up and is covering our lives because we're busy taking inventory of God's grace. And we're not seeing all that we believe that we're owed. And that's what our focus is on. God comes up a little short. Grace has stopped being grace because our delight isn't in the giver. It's not, it's not being in his presence. It's not in enjoying him as he is or, or being with him in his home. Our delight is, is in his gifts, his stuff, what he gives us. We're, we're not stirred by the fact that God is gracious. We're stirred when he gives us what we want, when and where and how we want it. When our lives are relatively undisturbed and our needs and wants are adequately met. But to be fair, God's grace is, is tough for some of us to swallow, right? Uh, when I say that, that God's not just gracious and generous, but that he literally lavishes his riches on us, some of you are like, mm-hmm, sure he is. You're skeptical. It's tough for you to, to believe that, and, and that's heartbreaking, because I know that your doubt and your disbelief can't ultimately be rooted in some wrong that God has done to you, some injustice that he's done to you. I know for a fact he's not the one who's robbed you, who has duped you, who has over and undelivered, underdelivered, who's hung you out to dry, but, but if that's your response, then I know that the world has. I know sin has. I know Satan and his spiritual forces at play, that that those things have. I know that you've learned to flinch when God reaches out his hand to, to meet your need with his grace, your daily bread in suffering and in sin because of the lies that you've been told and the lies that you've lived and the lies that you've been convinced over and over and over again are actually true about you and about the world and about the Lord. And at best, you'll try to like, snatch something out of his hand real quick love forgiveness redemption whatever it is and then run away as fast as you can because you don't trust him right or at worst you'll believe none of it's really for you at all or, or your stubborn heart will tell you that that you can take care of yourself apart from God's provision that you don't need him you don't need anybody and what I want you to see today is that God God can begin to put that doubt in you to rest to help you flinch a little less to, to soften your stubborn heart because he's not merely greater than his gifts. He, he became the greatest gift himself. There's, there's two kinds of grace, all right? There's common grace and there's saving grace. Common grace uh, is, is something that we all get to enjoy by and large. He gives to the world no matter what, right? So it, uh, Disney Plus, it's a common grace. What a gift. Darkwing Duck, the Rocketeer, so good. The rain falls on the wicked and the righteous, which is a good thing. I know we think rain, uh, like in an agricultural society, that's a good thing that he gives to the wicked and the righteous. The fact that the sun rose today on a world that's literally filled with 7 billion Dudleys. That The sun rose on it. People who rebel against God and his ways or who simply try to forget that he exists, that, that is an act of common grace that's shared by all of humanity, whoever woke up this morning. No, no matter where you stand with God, no matter what you think about Jesus. And that's just something to sneeze at. Uh, R.C. Sproul said that uh, God's grace can never be reduced to the level of experience that may be deemed common. Though God's grace in one sense is commonplace, uh, it is always and everywhere an expression of something that he gives that is undeserved by the creature. That God bestows any grace at all upon fallen creatures is indeed an uncommon manifestation of his sovereign generosity. Think of that the next time you boot up Disney+. Plus. All right. God is gracious to a world that doesn't think he is, but he continues to be gracious all the same but the particular kind of grace that we're talking about today is is an even more uncommon kind of grace. It's a special saving grace that only comes through Jesus. All right, back to Ephesians 1. Remember the one blessing, right, that comes with every spiritual blessing. uh, In verse 3, that comes from being blessed in Christ. In verse 5, we were predestined in love for adoption through Jesus Christ. In verse 7, in Christ, we have redemption, uh, redemption through Christ's blood in verse 11 in christ we have obtained an inheritance all those things every spiritual blessing have been wrapped up and delivered to us in christ like in jesus himself so to enjoy every spiritual blessing every spiritual blessing to receive adoption redemption inheritance we first have to receive the gift that isn't just from god but the gift that is god to, to as verse thirteen says, hear the word of truth, uh, the, the gospel of our salvation, and believe. Believe not in forgiveness. We don't believe in love. We don't believe in redemption. We believe in Him. That's who we believe in. I, I know Christmas time pops up, and we start to hear Josh Groban's like, like believe song, like if you just believe. I'm not gonna whatever. He has the for whatever. I hear that song every time I see, and I know this. Some of you probably have this in your home, like the words believe, right? The word believe just somewhere in your house, just randomly up there. And I, whenever I see those things or I hear that song, I'm like, believe in what? What do you want me to believe in? Uh, Buddhism? You want me to believe that oh, everything's just going to be okay? You want me to believe that uh, my coffee pot is going is to remember to brew coffee in the morning when I wake up? What am I believing in this morning? I, I want you to believe that God is so gracious that He has gone out of His way not just to secure a better future for you, but to change the way that you live in the present, to re- a new family and a new identity that's not made by you, that's not made by the people around you, but it's made by Jesus and it's given to you by Jesus on His own dime. And, and the proof of that grace isn't in the things around you. It's not in your health. It's not in your wealth. It's not in your happiness, or your prosperity. It's not in the 36 presents you counted that are in the room. It's not in the two presents that aren't there. The proof of that grace is in the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus that he has already given and he won't take back. Where God didn't just give us stuff, but he gave us himself and all the blessings that come with him. Heaven come to earth. The giver isn't only greater than the gift, the giver became the greatest gift. And so when I say that God is gracious with what he has, I'm not just talking about his stuff, I'm talking about himself. And that's the greatest thing a person could ever give, right? You could, you could drain the $50 billion foundation, you could drain the bank account, you could sell all that you own and find every penny under every couch cushion and every junk drawer and give it all away and there would still be one thing left, You. And God is so committed to lavishing us with the riches of his grace that he said, and I'll give that too. The question this morning isn't, do you believe in grace? It's, do you believe in Jesus? Because as John writes, it's from Jesus' fullness of grace that we all receive grace upon grace. Until one day when he reunites heaven and earth, and we won't simply be receiving grace from him and through him, but but face to face with him. The, the one who's thrown the party and will be in his backyard and in his home with him, the greatest gift forever. By grace alone, God is working to reunite heaven and earth in Jesus, and one of the ways he does that is by being gracious with what he has, including himself. Number two, God is gracious with the least likely. So uh, as a dad, um, I think I had this expectation that like when we had our our, our first child that uh Mabel she would come out and I would have this like instant magical connection with her that I would feel this thing I've never felt in my entire life and some of you haven't that's great but as a dad uh, I I just haven't I, I, I didn't feel that like when she first came out that's grown over time but when she first came out I was like that's a baby why do I have a baby what am I supposed to do with this thing but fast forward like five years and at the ultrasound of, of our, our boys, our twins, I'm literally weeping, looking at just blobs on a screen, right? Weeping uncontrollably out of, out of joy. Something changed, right, in those five years. And it wasn't because I discovered how easy parenting was, right? Or uh, how I knew that, like, we genetically engineered the perfect ch- child. And that's what I was looking at, right, on the screen. It's not because that's because I'd become familiar with the joy of being a parent, of getting to be gracious, with my stuff, and with myself in that particular relationship. That they might see the source of that grace, which is Jesus. And it's such a strange thing to have such a strong affection for someone you've not even met. Who might literally drive you nuts, but who you love dearly and would give anything for. And that can happen with biological children. That can happen with adoptive and foster families before you even have a name, know who your placement might be, or whatever. You have this affection for a kid before you even know who they are. This unexplainable affection can only begin to describe the kind of presumptuous grace that God has for his sons and for his daughters. Not after they show up, not once he meets them, not even while they're in the womb or just a twinkle in their mother's eye, but, but he has a longing to lavish his kids that he knows fully before they're even here with grace long before the foundation of the world. Ephesians 1, 3-6 says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he blessed us in the beloved. So if you get nervous, right, talking about predestination, or maybe some of you don't feel... Anything at all when we talk about those things. My, my goal this morning is not to tell you that it's true. You can write angry emails to Paul. He may not write back, all right? Uh, my, my job this morning is to convince you that this, what we just read, is really good news. Why? Let's make sure we're clear on what he's saying. Paul's saying that if you've received the saving grace of God, it's because God wants you to have it. If you've received the saving grace of God, it's because God wants you to have it. Not because you snatched it from his hand while he wasn't looking. Not because you tricked him out of it. All right? Not because you've, uh, you've behaved well enough or you've apologized enough or you've served hard enough or you've done whatever enough. But because he simply wanted you to have it before you even lifted a finger. Before you even had a finger. All right? Before you, before you even existed. He wanted to give that to you to lavish the riches of his grace on you. In love, he predestined you. But why? Why you? Why would he love any of us? It's one of my favorite things. And this isn't a sermon on love, but it's so connected to what we're talking about this morning. It's Deuteronomy 7 7 through 8. It was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord has set his love on you and chose you, for you were the fewest of all peoples, but it's because the Lord loves you. It was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord has set his love on you, but it's because the Lord loves you. And it's keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers, that the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery before the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Do you want to know why he loves you? Because he loves you. God loves you because he loves you. And he said, you're going to be my people my family, my kids, you're going to be my son, you're going to be my daughter, and I'm committed to loving you, and so he's going to love you, he's, he's going to bless you with every spiritual blessing, and he's not going to stop, right, with our, our kids, uh, all of our kids, especially when they were younger, like, like, how much does daddy love you, so much, right, do the hand thing and everything, why does daddy love you, because I'm your son, That's it. That's it. It's as simple as that. There are a million things I love about my kids. But I love my kids because they're my kids. But it's so tough for us to believe that it's that simple when it comes to God's love for us, his grace towards us, when when it is. Right? There has to be a reason, right? Well, uh, it's because of how many of us there is, right? Uh, No, you were the fewest of all peoples. Right? It's because we were so tough, right? No No, you were the ones who needed my mighty hand. That's oh, because of our status, our reputation, right? No, you were slaves in a foreign land., oh, it's because we were able to help ourselves, right? No, you were literally helpless. There is nothing about you that finally triggered God's affections for you. Nothing that won him over to you that, that tipped the scales, right? And boom, you were in. And nothing ever will. Because he didn't wait around from eternity past to see how you would turn out. And that is really good news because, trust me, none of us today would make the cut. There's one guy that made the cut, and that's Jesus. Which is why Paul says, or doesn't say, grace comes from you being the best version of you. A better version of you, a a hypothetical version of you, a future version of you. He says grace comes to you as you are right now through faith in Jesus. Because Jesus, who has been and always will be God, became the only best version of humanity that's ever existed. And he only came to seek and save those who have lost their way. It's all of us. So, So if you're looking at yourself and thinking, I'm the the last person on earth that God would ever want, that God could ever want to claim as a son or a daughter, let alone lavish with grace. I bring nothing but baggage to the table. What you need to know is that's kind of his point. I've told this story before when Kelly and I were in college and I was like just wrestling with insecurity and doubt and guilt and all sorts of things. And we're saying on the phone to her like, I just don't feel worthy of God's love and his grace. And she thinks we were in person. We were definitely on the phone. She said... Because you're not. Which is, sounds really cutting, right? It's welcome to my wife, right? <laughs> but the best thing she ever could have said to me, the most loving and truthful thing she ever could have said, be, don't misunderstand, the point isn't that you're worthy. It's not that you're not worthy. The point is that God wants to make the unworthy worthy. He wants to make the wretch righteous. He wants to make the poor rich. He wants to make the orphan his. He wants to make the unloved cherished. He wants to make the dead alive. Ephesians 2, 1 through 9 says, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that's now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God, Of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. So we get to let God's grace speak for itself and lavish even you with his riches, not try to tie conditions to it. This is why he loves me. Life. It's not not tied to your past or your present or your future, but but Christ's whole life that he's already lived. Not to your performance in the present, but to his sovereign grace from eternity past. This is good news. This is good news of a Jesus who, or your loved one uh, or some future version of us, but who will go out of his way to, by grace alone, reunite himself with us. To reunite heaven and earth in Jesus and one of the ways he does this is by being gracious to the least likely, even to you and to me. Point three God is gracious with the end in mind. Uh, I used to work for United Way, um, a charity uh back in the day, and even though you would assume like ah it's all about just helping people and stuff like that, it is but 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 the bottom line really wasn't always about the one who is in the most need. The, the bottom line was like, what, what produces the most results, right? What program, what, what thing produces the most results? There was always a vision, uh, health, education, income, all that stuff. That's what we were shooting for. Um, but man, you, you always had to go back to the donors and say, this is what we did with your money. Like, this is the impact that we made in the community. Look what we did, right? And that's not all bad. That's, that's called stewardship, right? Making sure that we do the most with, with what we have. But, but that means there's always going to be people who fall through the cracks. The ones who are most at risk, who are maybe least efficient in helping, right? They're going to fall through the cracks because you don't put them on a, on a poster. They're not good marketing material. And in reality, in, in a nonprofit, in a world with limited resources, we, we can't waste charity, right? So we think. Even the, the Gates Foundation can't be reckless with what they have. Even $50 billion, that'll, that'll go away someday. Right? To, to reduce as impatient optimists inequity in the world, they have to walk the line between those with the greatest need and making the greatest impact. But that's a line that God doesn't have to walk. If the Gates Foundation decided to fund people and programs the way that, that God gives out grace, uh, they would be called fools donors would turn on them, right? They'd cancel their giving. Media would go crazy. Uh, If they'd said, like, bring the addicts, bring the abused, bring the abusers, bring the the unfaithful and the adulterers, bring the people who squandered their money, right? Are in a ton of debt way over their head. Bring the murderers and the liars. Bring the thieves, uh, even the ones who think they don't need help, the proud and the self-righteous. Bring all of them to us and just give them everything. In fact, you know what? Write them into our wills. They'd be out of cash like that. And the needle on an equity would would barely budge. It would be foolish. Just like it'd be foolish for God to call those same people and say, I choose you, the the least likely, so that you'd be holy and blameless before me. It sounds crazy, but but it's really not. God, God is not crazy, he's not foolish. Do you ever think that God wasted his grace on you? ever feel that way that he wasted his grace on you that he made a mistake that you're just blowing it right Uh, i get i've gotten this question several times like when does god's grace run out when have i burned through all the grace that he has allotted for me when am i out of the will and and the real question that's being asked there is is what sins weren't paid for on the cross What, what blessing did christ receive that he didn't pass on to you which of the, the every spiritual blessing is God running short on? But it's just nothing. It, it's hard to believe because it's a bit unbelievable. And it might seem foolish to us, but God is not foolish. In Ephesians 1, 7 through 7-10, he says, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. He knew what he was doing when he gave you grace the one that you think you're squandering it and wasting it, he knew what he was doing, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things. He gave his grace to you specifically with the end in mind. On purpose. He not only lets us in on the plan, but we are part of the plan for the fullness of time, to unite all things in heaven and on earth. But, but we so often think that means he's waiting for us to, to bring earth up to heaven, right? Like kids jumping up trying to reach as high as their dad can reach, right? But, but that's not the way it works. Uh, it's, it's God saying, I'm coming down to you. I'm bringing heaven down to you. And that's how it's always been. God came down to dwell in the garden with Adam and Eve. God dwelled in a tent. God dwelled in a temple. He, he dwelled among his people, Right? as us in Jesus. He came to dwell in his people uh, through the Holy Spirit as a guarantee and a seal. And the final picture that we have in Revelation is him and a whole city coming down to dwell with us right here. God's not wasting his grace on imperfect people like you. His grace on imperfect people is the work of his perfect plan that will produce and is producing what he's aiming for shower nights at home are crazy our kids go nuts uh it's like someone flipped a switch and we have like showers and all that stuff i I don't know why but uh they they just go crazy um and they stay in the shower for like eight times longer than they need to and they're playing and they're like trying to clean the walls i'm like what what are you doing in there they're playing sitting on whatever they're doing all kinds of stuff wasting water uh and time and all kinds of things it's super frustrating but but you know how they come out clean mostly (laughs) in Christ God has declared us clean holy blameless we are that as we continue to be showered day by day by day with the grace of God we get to actually live a little more holy as we learn and as we grow we get to live a little differently as we respond to the grace that God has given us we get to let him wash some of the dirt off and to be refreshed his His grace doesn't just preserve us, right? It it changes us over time. We we get to walk into every day knowing that we have a God who's given us not just His stuff, but Himself, and won't withhold anything from us. A God who, who loves us simply because He loves us, and a God who has poured out His grace on us on purpose. That'll change a person. That'll soften hearts. That'll make us flinch a little less when God stretches out His hand to offer us grace and and when he invites us to walk with him and learning how to live holy and blameless lives. He's making all things new, including us. And one day he'll, he'll finish that. He'll finish making all things new. And on that day, we'll realize that it took a lot of grace and a lot of time that right now we think are being wasted on us. But we'll step into that day able to live as holy and blameless as he's already made us and declared us in Christ. And that, folks... that that, that is reuniting all things under heaven and earth in Jesus. You are one of those things. And if there's one thing we get to do today and, and tomorrow and every day into eternity because of that, it's this that verse 6 In love, he predestined us for adoption to, to the praise of his glorious grace. And verse 12 We've obtained an inheritance and hope in Christ to the praise of his glory. In verse 14, and one day we'll acquire full possession of that inheritance to the praise of his glory. We get to praise him in private and in public when we're gathered and when we're scattered upward to the Lord and outward to our neighbors. doesn't have to look like some crazy thing even though we're going to sing about grace in a big way in just a couple minutes. Explicitly about God's grace. We get to respond and sing in that way. We also get to receive in private. I was, We were like making dinner the other night, earlier this week, and it was... We, uh, all the kids' plates were, were dirty, and so we were using like, the, just the big, regular white plates that the, the big kid plates, the adult plates that we use. And I laid them all out on the counter, and so there were seven white plates, and I was thinking like, man we need a bigger countertop." Uh, but also, my second thought was, like, all of these white plates, these seven plates, they're totally empty right now. And yet in like five minutes, I'm going to take something out of the oven. And, and just put baked potatoes on there, and they're going to be full. And for whatever reason, God by his grace in that moment was like, yeah, yeah, like what I, what I do with you, right? He, he's gracious with us, not in just these big hype. He's gracious, and he, he fills our plates. So we get to sing and respond to that, and we also get to look at outward praise, and what it looks like to, to stir up other people to praise the grace of God? What's it look like for us to be generous with our stuff and with ourselves, our presence? What's it look like for us to be generous with the least likely, the person that you think there's no way, if, if anyone's going to come to know Jesus, ain't going to be that guy, ain't going to be that girl. How can you actually display the grace of God to them? How can you stir up praise for grace in there? How do we be generous with the end in mind? Not about efficiency, return on investment, all right? but again, to help encourage each other to, to praise. So look, I want to invite us in just a, a time of response. All right, uh, band, you guys can come up. There'll be some questions on the screen. I want us to consider what it looks like for us to participate in reuniting heaven and earth. And if, if you're not part of that yet, if you don't know what that means, we would love to invite you to just even considering what it looks like for you to believe not just in in forgiveness and grace and all those things, but for you to believe in Jesus, the one who embodies and gives us those things. So we're gonna take the next few minutes. uh, You can read the questions that are up on the screen. You can pray in your seats. There's a prayer bench over there. There'll be some people by that red tree to pray with you. Um, I'll be back here. uh, My wife and I uh, in front of that red tree painted on the wall to talk with you and pray with you.